Good morning, church. Uh, for those that cannot attend our outdoor services, we're so glad you've decided to tune in this way. Uh, be careful. Remember that uh, there are a lot of things going on, a lot of ministries still uh, progressing. So keep praying, keep in touch with one another, and check on one another. This morning, I wanted to look at a, a very familiar passage of Scripture. And uh, I, I want us to look at several things about life's greatest thief. And Jesus talked about that uh, when he was talking in the context of this passage in John chapter 10. He was talking about being the good shepherd and that he was the shepherd and the sheep knew his voice. Anybody else that entered in had been a, a thief before him. And he says that if anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture in verse 9. And then he says in verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for how you work in our lives. We thank you for blessing us. And Father, I just ask that you'll speak to our hearts as only you can by your Holy Spirit. Make your word come alive. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and heart to obey you uh, at this time. And Father, continue to bless our church in Christ's name. Amen. I can remember as a a youngster, I was about 13, maybe 14, and uh, we pulled in one night. Uh, We'd been gone on a little trip, and we pulled in, and it was just a little after midnight. Everything was dark because we left the lights off at the house at that time. And the door was wide open when we pulled in. And the disturbing thing about that was we knew we had locked it tight when we left. And so being uh, uh, the only man present because my dad was out on the road, it was my job to go in and check out the house. I remember sneaking up on the house and reaching inside the back door where the door was open and feeling for my little shotgun that I always kept there to shoot critters to protect the chickens. It wasn't there. And I, okay, he's got my shotgun. But then I reached on down, and there was my aluminum baseball bat. I thought, if I can get close enough, I can take care of this. Because you could see a little flashlight in the other room going wobbly, and you could hear him going through stuff. And as I uh, stepped up on the back from the back porch to the Uh, kitchen the floor squeaked and you heard a big rustle and then you heard the front door fly open my mom was honking the horn I knew there was an emergency so I went running outside to make sure that she was safe and my sisters were safe and the guy had just taken off he'd taken my shotgun he he had taken uh, mom's my mom's mom's wedding ring that was on the dresser and a few other little things like that he just grabbed what he could and he took off and uh I I was so disappointed. I mean, it wasn't worth much, my little gun. It was the first gun my daddy had given me, though, and that that was precious to me. And Mom's ring was much more precious to her because her mom died when she was 13. It's the only thing she had left from her mother. And all of us at different times have experienced either break-ins or people stealing from us. You might call it uh, being ripped off. Maybe it was a job and... and, uh, you deserve the promotion, you'd work for the promotion, and it went to somebody else that was a friend of the boss. Or or maybe somebody had made you a promise about something, and they didn't keep their promise. And uh, all the different things and the different ways we feel like somebody has stolen from us. And we're very good about identifying thieves in the physical realm, but not in 
identifying thieves in the spiritual realm. And basically, I think that the Bible tells us a lot about Satan. And one of the things he tells us is that Satan is life's biggest thief. Life's biggest thief. And so today I wanted to look at that, just some, some, hopefully some practical aspects to help us to be on guard, especially during this time when we're isolated and, and uh, maybe we feel alone, that spiritually we need to make sure that we're on guard because, see, we're to be on our guard in our spiritual walk to identify these things that might take spiritual life from us, that might hinder us in our growth, that might cause us to stumble in our walk. And so we're to be on guard against life's biggest thief in our spiritual walk. So first of all, the reality. Jesus said it this way, the thief, which is the devil, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, if you notice it, it's a progression. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And to summarize that little phrase, here's the way I would do it on, on Satan's strategy. Satan is real, and he wants to try to take everything away from us that God wants us to have. Every good thing that God wants us to have, Satan wants to keep us from getting. He wants to steal it from us. All right, That's his strategy, to make life uh, sort of miserable, to uh, try to get us discouraged, to try to get us to drop to the side, to try to get us to keep from following Christ. He'll do anything. And so I asked myself, and, and when I discussed this uh, years ago with my father-in-law about what this verse meant, he, he and I came up with some things. What will Satan try to steal? The first thing that, that he'll try to do is he'll steal your best possession. Your best possession. Now, what do I mean by that? I want you to understand your, your best possession is your name, your character. He'll do anything he can to smirch your name, your character, gossip, backsbiting, temptation. Anything he can do to cause mud to be on you, a stain on you. So the community says, yeah, that's one of those Christians, all right. So that those who would besmirch God would say, yeah, look at that. He's a real Christian or she's a real Christian. And Satan tries to, to steal our best possession, which is our name, our, our character. But... Do you realize Satan tries to steal our soul? Now, I want you to stop right there and listen carefully. You cannot lose your salvation. But for those who haven't accepted Christ yet, he's trying to steal your soul. Now, what do I mean? See, God made you. God made you body, mind, spirit, soul. Satan hates your soul. He does not want you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way he tries to steal it, he causes you to come up with a thousand different reasons. You know, I'm afraid to walk the aisle. The church has hurt my family. Uh, do it later when it's more convenient. You know, if I just wasn't so busy, I could do it now. I want to have some fun, etc., etc., etc. Until you put it off too long, and then you stand before God without Christ, trying to pay the penalty for your sins, when the Bible plainly says the wages of sin is death. And the only payment is the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Those who have been putting off this most critical decision, those that think you're okay, you're not without Jesus. And Satan has you right where he wants you because right now he's in possession of your very soul, all right, until you give it to Jesus your whole life body, mind, spirit, and soul. Uh, 
Do, do you realize that Jesus tried to steal, I mean, Satan tried to steal Jesus. When Jesus was born, there was that bumpy uh, road riding on that donkey or walking, that long trip when, when Mary was heavy with child all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Then after he was born, uh, Herod was searching out uh, the child and he was going to kill him. Uh, that was Satan instigating all of that. Until God sent him to Egypt and provided for the family in a miraculous way through the gifts of the Magi. And then when Herod was dead, God sent another angel and called him back. Do we understand those things? But he tried to steal Jesus. Now, another thing he's going to try to steal is your God-given potential. What do I mean by that? See, he tries to kill and to, uh, to steal, to kill, and to destroy your God-given potential works like this. You've been doing your Bible study. You've been doing your prayer. And the Holy Spirit gives you that, that inclination, that leading that you're supposed to do something. And the first thing that whispers in your ear is, you can't do that. The first thing that happens is, I'm not capable. First thing that happens is, what will people think if I did that? First thing that happens is, you're shaking your head, no, Lord, you've got to be mistaken. You've got to choose somebody else. That's not the Holy Spirit telling you not to do it. That's the devil telling you you can't do it. He wants to take your potential and grind it in the dust. He does not want Christians that are witnessing. He does not want Christians that are serving. He does not want Christians that are giving. He does not want Christians that are active in church. See, he wants them to fail. He doesn't want you to grow in service, in stewardship, in witnessing. And so he whispers to you, you can't do that. Even though the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, you can. Even though your Bible study is saying, go for it. God is with you. Satan holds you back trying to steal your potential. That's why it's so important for children to not only come to the Lord early on. I know they've got to understand, but they need to come to the Lord early on before their hearts get hard. That's why they need to learn about serving in the church and why they need to be active in the church so that they will learn early on about what it's like to walk with Jesus. But I also think the last thing is Satan will try to steal your greatest joy. Your greatest joy is going to be living by faith. Your greatest joy is going to be studying God's Word. Your greatest joy is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your greatest joy is going to be serving God and watching not what you can do, but what only God can do through you. Your greatest joy is going to be living the Christian life, headed for heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Get excited, church. Do we understand that greatest joy? You see, he's going to tell you that, Hey, look, it's hard to be a Christian. He's right. It's hard. But what he's not going to tell you about all these things is this. He's not going to tell you, if you're not a Christian yet, about Christ's love and forgiveness. When you do mess up after you're a Christian, you're feeling so guilty and you feel under conviction. You say, I just can't pray. I just can't go back to God. Look what I've done. That's Satan telling you that. He's not going to tell you what 1 John 1, 9 says. It says uh, that if we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness or iniquity. 
Satan's not going to tell us about that. He's not going to tell about how wonderful it is to feel the Holy Spirit residing within us and the joy that we have even when we shouldn't have joy. And, and it's joy that uh, the comfort that passes understanding from the Holy Spirit guiding us and directing us. Satan's not going to tell us that. He's not going to tell us when Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. A yoke harnessed two oxen together to make the pull better and so he's saying I've got a yoke for you it doesn't gall I've got a yoke for you it makes the burden easier because I'm with you to help you each step of the way why does Satan not tell us those things because he wants to steal those things from us that joy you see he wants to steal not just from the lost but to keep God's children down oppressed Uh, You know, sometimes I wonder because uh, Christians look like the most miserable people in the world when they come to church, and they should be some joy in there somewhere. And sometimes we look like we've been sucking on sour pickles or we've eaten a bad egg or, or something. And yet we have eternal joy because Jesus said, in this world we'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Do we remember that? See, by our choices... We often let Satan steal our joy. By our choices, we often let him steal our potential. By our choices, we often injure our faith. You see, if he's cheated you, if he's stolen you, you need to know that Christ Jesus is the answer. You know, I heard uh, a sermon this week, and it was very good. It was on faith. And basically, what the guy said was this, and we need to remember this. That we have overcoming faith in Jesus Christ. We have victorious power in Jesus Christ. But if we don't believe his word, that dulls the sword. And instead of being able to fight Satan, we've got a dull sword. Because we won't obey what he said in the word. So this is a time to not let, not let Satan steal all these things from us. It's a time to pray, to immerse ourselves in the word, to put on the whole armor of God. Do we understand that? We need to. We need to ask ourselves, have we been doing that? All right. So that's what Satan tries to do. But what is our response supposed to be? What is our response really supposed to be? Well, I think 1 Peter uh, 5.8 tells us. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that uh, the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter is telling us what our response when we feel these attacks of Satan. See, he says he's like a roaring lion, ravenous, walking about seeking whom he may devour. He pounces on weakness. He pounces on the loss. He wants to ruin lives because he came to steal and to kill and to destroy. Again, you can't lose your salvation if you're really in Christ. But if you're not in Christ, you're vulnerable to Satan's attacks in ways that a Christian is not. And we need to understand that's what he's about. When it talks about a roaring lion, that that sort of scares us when he's seeking whom he may devour, who can eat on. Um, That causes concern. But realize some things that the Bible teaches. Satan is not God or equal with God. He is not all wise. He is not all powerful. Uh, He is not all present. He has to roam the earth looking, seeking. And our 
response cannot be to run and hide, to quiver, to stop working for God. Those are not our proper response. Our response is. See, so what should they be? What does the Bible tell us to do? It tells several things. First, in First uh, Thessalonians 5.17, it says to pray without ceasing. Prayer is where we get our strength for the warfare that we're really in. Uh, the second thing it tells us to do is to renew our mind. Uh, we need to understand that and believe that. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove whether that is good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Living sacrifices crawl off the altar. Every day we need to renew that we belong to Jesus. Every day we need to renew our commitment to be a living sacrifice for him. Every day we put self to death so that we won't be self-centered but God-centered. And the renewing of our mind takes place for as we study the word and as we pray. And it, it, it helps us to God, rather than be conformed with his external pressure so we look like the world, we're transformed by the inward pressure of the Holy Spirit working in our lives through God's word so that we prove whether that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. We do that as we walk. And, and the Bible tells us to, to pray without ceasing. It tells us to renew our minds. It tells us to rejoice. Philippians 4, 14 tells us rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There have been a lot of times Elizabeth has had to remind me to rejoice. You wake up, you got someplace to go, and you got a flat tire. I am grumbling. And she said, God's just keeping you from having an accident. Rejoice in the Lord. We'll be driving, and somebody's poking in front of me. Now, I'm the old guy now poking. But back then, I had a little bit heavier foot. And she'd say, God is keeping you from getting a ticket. Rejoice in the Lord. I hate it when she's right. But she was right. We rejoice when circumstances aren't good. We rejoice when things are good. We rejoice in the Lord because nothing changes our relationship with Him. The Bible goes on. He tells us to put on our whole armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, I'm just going to begin with verse 2. It says, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His night. Uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. The demons themselves are against us because we belong to Christ and they don't want that to spread. Then he says... Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, it means to hold the line. It means not to back up. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, the word of God. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, we are righteous in Christ Jesus. Jesus, he who died. Uh, <clears throat> oh, it's not going to remember. He became sin for us that we might become he was without sin. He became sin for us so we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that breastplate of righteousness, our, our righteousness in Christ, and having put on, shod your feet with the gospel, the preparation of peace. 
And above all, take the shield of faith, which you're able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Put those on and get ready for the battle. Now, specifically, back to 1 Peter. How does all that apply? He says, be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. He starts off telling us to be on our guard. Be on your guard. Be sober. Now, be sober forbids physical drunkenness, but it also tells us to be mentally alert. Okay, you can also find him speaking of those kind of things in 1 Peter 1, 13, 1 Peter 4, 7. It says, don't let your mind wander to other things that it hinders spiritual alertness. Too often we get to chasing this or chasing that and the world distracts us and we're not really thinking about where we are or what we're doing. And Satan grabs us. We fall into a trap. In other words, don't be lured by carelessness, thinking or non-thinking into sin. Don't let your mind become lazy and dull to the things of God. Too many people say, well, I haven't heard from God. Well, how much time have you spent with him? Well, I, I, I have a hard time understanding my Bible. How much have you read it? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to help you? See, they've got to be in tune with God and his word. Nothing takes the place of God's word empowered by the Holy Spirit for the Christian. The Holy Spirit uses the Word to speak to our hearts, to guide us, to direct us, to steer us right or left or to stop us. So be sober. Then he said be vigilant. That means watchful. It's like a sentry and he's watching where the enemy is coming from. So be watchful for sin because sin dulls us to God. We'll be watchful because our adversary, uh, he can't really get us. Because we can't lose our salvation, so he'll try to accuse us. He's roaring at us. We can quiver, or we can tell him to go away. You see? He tries to devour, it means to swallow up, trying to destroy, again, our reputation, our families, to destroy our churches. But the Bible says, resist him. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil. And he will flee from you. You resist him in the name of Christ. You resist him through the power of the word and the Holy Spirit. You resist him by making a decision forehand what to do and not what not to do. And it comes from your Bible study and the things God is teaching you and the things he's teaching me to resist him and he'll flee. Okay. And be steadfast in the faith. Be steadfast. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in the face. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Steadfast was a picture of the Roman legions as they held their shield wall up and they had either their short swords or their short spears and they would hold that line. No matter what rolled against them, no matter how many attacked them, they would hold it. If somebody started to falter, another one would step up into place. Hold the line. Steadfast. Does God look at us and see people who are steadfast or people who are going, oh my, what are we going to do now? Steadfast in the faith. 
My faith is not in my power. My faith is not in your power. My faith and your faith are in God's power. Even during the midst of this time of pandemic, even in the midst of this time of, of it seems to be increasing in our numbers, even in the midst of this time when they're still wanting to shut us down, even in the midst of this time when we tend to be lonely and quarantined, in the midst of this, our God is still strong. Our God is still in control. Are we crying out to him? Are we reading his word? Are we asking him to do miraculous things to bring revival to a nation who doesn't want revive? We need to be resisting the devil and his wiles. And then realize you're not alone. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself, Jesus himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are not alone. The things happening to us are happening all around the world. They're happening to brothers and sisters in Christ. God means this for our good, and Satan means it for our harm. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So we're overcomers. So, to Satan's reality of what he plans to do, be on guard, resist him, be steadfast, okay, and realize you're not alone. If we do this, we're going to have a a victory. We're going to be able to stand at the end and say, God helped us through it all for his praise and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for helping us. Thank you that you came to give us life and life abundantly. And life didn't just mean the things that consist of life. It meant the joy of our salvation. It meant the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It meant the word of God to grow us. It, It meant the joy of just knowing you and walking with you. It meant the good things that come down from you because James says every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights, from above, where there's no variable or shadow of turning. You have not left us. You have not changed one bit. You're immutable. And for your steadfastness, I praise you. I praise you you're not fickle like I tend to be, that your love is forever, that you have a covenant love, that your mercy goes to the third and the fourth and even to the generation after that of those that love you. Father, thank you. Help us during the midst of this time. Help us to seek you and grab a hold of you and find you. Father, hear our prayers for worldwide revival. Hear our prayers that it may begin in me and the deacons and leadership of our church and spread. You've worked with small congregations in the past to to spread great revival. I know the last revival in Scotland, the Herbides of Scotland, the islands off of Scotland. When they traced it back, there were two little ladies lived together in a house. Father, I know you know their names. 80 and 82. One blind, one crippled. And they prayed until you brought great revival to their nation. Father, help us to pray in that way. Father, I just ask that you'll use us in a special way to bring glory to Jesus this week. Protect us, 
Guide us. Bless us. These things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. See you later, church. Have a good weekend.